0: To the Straight to Video podcast with Rob
1: Lane.
0: Hey there, welcome along to a brand new episode of the Straight to Video podcast. I hope you're all doing okay. Things seem really busy here with Straight to Video right now, with a bunch of things happening behind the scenes, which I'll be announcing soon, but I'm working hard for you lot who regularly keep coming back to the show to make sure I bring you a brand new episode every Tuesday and Friday. And today is a pretty special one for me. Growing up toys meant so much, I know that sounds obvious, pretty much what kid in the late 70s and 80s couldn't help but be obsessed with all the amazing toys that were being released. I went in head first into pretty much everything that came out and if it was tied in with a film or TV show it probably made it extra special. Like most of the planet in the late 70s and early 80s if you were yet to become a teenager it was all about Star Wars. Star Wars was life, basically, but everything else was up for grabs too back then. Next came Action Force, then Masters of the Universe and Transformers. You tell me, a period in time when more iconic toy lines were released, and I'll tell you, you were wrong. So growing up in the UK, you couldn't escape the name Palatoy. Even before you hit the age of 10, I'm betting most kids knew that they were responsible for the UK release of Star Wars. Imagine in the 70s and the turn of the 80s to be able to go to the Palatoy factory and see all those toys being produced. The company had already had success with Action Man and the Star Wars movies just took things to the next level. Next would come Action Force, a scaled down version of Action Man in the style of Star Wars and for me that was a real game changer. Particularly when it got tied in with the battle comic which I used to get when I visited my grandparents at the weekend. I pored over the stories of Action Force battling Baron Ironblood and his red shadows and that whole story expanded even more when it combined with the G.I. Joe style of toys from the USA which again I absolutely loved. Now what I didn't learn until perhaps, I don't know, maybe the last five or six years ago, is that along with the amazingly talented team down at Palatoid, there was one man who was a continued creative force behind so many of the toys that are now part of my pop culture DNA. Today's guest, Bob Breakin, joined Palatoy during the 1960s, Just as Action Man was taking the UK by storm, he would become the chief designer and as you will learn in our chat, literally have a hand in creating some of the characters most successful selling points. And then once Star Wars hit our shores, Bob would help give the line its own UK identity thanks to his brilliant creativity. Next would come Action Force and this is where Bob would make his mark most of all bringing to life the characters and stories in the toy line and introducing me and many others to such show stealers as the Kraken and the one of the kind, highly collectible RoboSkull. Please, if you're unfamiliar with this toy, look it up as nothing has been seen like it before or likely to be matched since. It was an absolute pleasure to connect with Bob and hear about his time at the legendary company and if you even have the slightest interest in any of the toys I've mentioned, I'm sure you'll find it fascinating. And be sure, before or after our chat, to give some support to my friends Dead School Coffee who continue to support this show. If you visit their website, deadschoolcoffee.co.uk and grab some of their fine rock and roll, ground or full bean coffee, make sure to add the discount code STV on checkout and as a listener to this show, you will get 15% off your order. All right, let's get into this and make the eight-year-old Rob Lane super jealous as we dive into my straight-to-video chat with Palatoy designer Bob Breakin.
1: The year is 1978, and Palatoy will bring you Star Wars. Here on Death Star, Ben Kenobi combats the awesome power of Darth Vader, while Han and Tia battle for their lives in the trash compactor. Luke evades the stormtroopers with R2, D2, and C-3PO. But can he escape in the X-Wing fighter? Only you will know. Only you can create your own Star Wars Death Star vehicles, figures all sold separately May the Force be with you I wish I had some hair like you <laughs> I don't know
0: what's going off with it at the moment Where are you based now, Bob? Are you still kind of in the area?
1: I'm in uh, Swaddling Co. Right, not too far away then. Yeah, it's about 25 minutes from the Palitoy factory.
0: You're incredibly well known for your time working at the legendary toy company Palitoy in Colville, Leicestershire. But you're originally from Oxford and then later came to college in Birmingham. What career plans did you have at that time? Could you ever see yourself creating toys back then?
1: <laughs> not really. I was born up in Oxford till I was 18. Yeah, went to college, did product design at Birmingham.
0: What kind of stuff did that cover, like product design?
1: Well, it's sort of the arty side of industrial design, I suppose. You know, engineers do the engineering bit and product designers make it look good, I suppose.
0: <laughs> Smooth off the edges a little bit and say yeah. it to the people.
1: So I was working... In Birmingham afterwards for a company that was making door furniture, door handles, and window catches.
0: Far cry away from space vehicles and things like that. Well,
1: yeah, yeah. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was a job, you know. But I saw the advert for toy designer. I so thought, that sounds interesting. <laughs> and that was
0: obviously from Palatoy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, it said Colville. I so, saw uh, Where the hell's Colville?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Were you right in the middle of Birmingham then at that point?
1: Yeah, yeah. To watch Peaky Blinders. Yeah, down in Derritend. That's where it was. <laughs> down near the canal
0: <laughs> so when you saw Peaky Blind you're just like I recognize that place
1: <laughs> well yeah I mean Gas Street Basin in Birmingham and I quite well from the old days that used to be a bit I mean it's all built up now it's the Symphony Hall and all that round there and back in those days it was a bit grim down there and there's one guy on in the art college that he had a flat down there on the canal I remember going to a party there in this flat well it's sort of a hovel really I suppose I'll go down there now again and look at it and think, cracking I was in that place. And it, I think it's a pub now or something, but so different down there.
0: How did Colville compare to that area of Birmingham when you arrived for your interview?
1: Well, I suppose it's a bit different. It's certainly different from Oxford, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I went for an interview. I went on the train because I didn't drive then. I went on the train to Leicester, caught a bus out to Colville. It was beautiful going across the Charmwood Forest. It arrived in Colville. I got off the bus and there was a big monolith and it was the Clock Tower, which was quite special to people at Colville. And then I crossed the road and looked down and there was this headstock with a wheel on the top and blokes walking across the road with black faces, you know. (laughs) And everything was black and grimy.
0: Was it a big mining town at that point?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mines closed in 84, 85, about the same time as Palletoy closed, you know. So, of course, a lot of unemployment then. Yeah. I mean, what sprung up in Colville was betting shops and holiday companies, you know.
0: (laughs) Travel agents.
1: Travel agents, yeah. Trying to get the money off the miners that they've been given, you know, for giving up their jobs, basically. What kind of experience or
0: qualifications were Palatoy looking for in the advert? Do you remember?
1: Can't remember. No, they're just looking for somebody to do toy design. But I went along and did an interview with Bill Pugh, waited a few weeks and they offered me a job.
0: Excellent. So, because the company itself, I, believe, I mean, I know you're like a mastermind with these dates, but I think the company had started in, was it 1919 as Castle Lloyd, then becoming Palatoy in 1935?
1: It wasn't palitoy that started as casseroid. Casseroid started in 1919 by this guy called Alf Pallet. He was doing all sorts of plastic things in celluloid and stuff like that, you know, very inflammable. He had all this celluloid sheeting and he made windmills. You know the windmills you get at the seaside? Oh, wow, right, yeah. It was flat sheets, so he could stamp them out and then fold them around and make it into like a windmill. And that was his first toy, which Woolworths bought thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And then he got into dolls with a doll called Diddums in 1925. He became a toy company. He was making other things as well, like hairbrushes and collar studs and golf tees and did a lot of dolls and, you know, loads of dolls, Koopy dolls and stuff like that. But then he was bought out by a company in 1930. And they had a lot of money. behind the big plastics company. He stayed on as managing director, but they got into other things then. Big blow molding was a big thing after the war. Plastic bottles, from little bottles right up to twenty gallon things, you know. But then in 1935, before the war, that's when they thought the toys needed a name. So instead of cataloid toys, they wanted a brand name, and his name was Pallet Right. So they called them Palitoy, Palitoy playthings.
0: Very cool. I never knew that. And they wanted
1: to expand. They bought this old, it's been many things, it's been a boxing hall, it's been a dance hall, it's been all sorts of things, but it's in Colville, it still stands. They bought it to make soft body dolls in 1937, and that was the first time they'd put the palitoid playthings on the catalogue and so forth.
0: Was it still the same logo, but with playthings added to it?
1: No, it was completely different to what you see now. Palitoy Playthings was the first name they registered it and that was the brand of toys then for Castle
0: so what year did you get the job was it 1960 67 so had Action Man started at that point then
1: 66 Action Man
0: right so you came in
1: just as that well Action Man in the first year was just G.I. Joe in Palitoy packaging yeah they just bought everything off of Hasbro well from the Hasbro suppliers in Hong Kong Palitoy made their own set of tools for the figure in Portugal because Hasbro got their tools made in Portugal so they just went out and got a set of tools for palitoy, But all the stuff was coming in from Hong Kong and it's just everything was put into packaging. So basically it was G.I. Joe. So when I arrived, that's what I got into then was to turn it into something British rather than being American.
0: Wow. Had it become popular at that point or was it still growing?
1: Oh, well, they sold a million in the first. They had to import G.I. Joe's from Canada. Canada being part of the Commonwealth, there was tax, you know, so uh, they were importing them because they couldn't make enough with the tooling they got. There's a record that the company made Miles Fletcher was the managing director at the time. It's a record they sent out to the retailers. And on the record, it's got the Action Man march and explosions and stuff, you know, battle noises. But on the other side, it was a message from Miles Fletcher to the retailers saying that we're about to deliver our millionth Action Man just before Christmas.
0: (laughs) I love all like promotion gimmicks like that. I don't know if you see all that kind of thing these days.
1: What was that, like an actual vinyl record? It's vinyl, but not rigid one. It's I think it was a floppy one.
0: This stuff you used to get free on the front of magazines back in the day.
1: That sort of thing, I think. I'm not sure. It, it might have been a hard one. But of course, then they did it as a... Um, I think they did it as a Mail Away with the Action Man march on one side and battle sounds on the other.
0: Brilliant. So you say initially it was just reissuing G.I. Joe stuff, which was popular in America. When did Palatoy get some creative control? Because you were part of some like really important changes and advances with the Action Man line, such as the realistic hair and the gripping hands.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The year after I joined, so Action Man was 66. I joined in 67. 68... Lloyd decided to get rid of the toys, put it up for sale, basically, and uh, it was bought by General Mills. Right. So, in '68, General Mills bought Pally Toy. That gave us a bit more freedom away from what had happened before, and um, we had a lot more money. Which is good. <laughs> and Miles Fletcher, who was the managing director, he cleared off because he didn't want to work for Americans after he sold the toy brand to Americans. And Bob Simpson, who was his marketing manager, he took over as managing director then. Of course, floodgates were open then because we carry on and do whatever we wanted, and the Americans kept away. All they were interested in is that we made a bit of money for them.
0: Right, okay. So I guess was that a point when you could bring in, like, the British-style military? And all that kind of thing
1: I think the first outfit Was the Red Devil You know with the parachute and then when we did research, I think it was Les Cook, he was, he was in charge of Action Man at the time for the marketing of it. He did some research with Action Man at the very beginning, and they found that, you know, the mountain and Arctic one, the white one with the skis and everything, the kids were saying, oh, it's like Scott of the Antarctic. So that gave us the impetus to start doing explorers. Right. You know, we did a mountaineer and an Arctic explorer and an underwater explorer and all that sort of stuff. We did the and dog team. Do you know how popular they was compared to, like, the military? They were quite popular to start with, but the kids liked the military stuff more, I think, eventually. I mean, the frogman you could use as an explorer, but he was really a military frogman, wasn't he? Yeah, the Red Devil was the first outfit, and then we did all the explorers. Then we did sport, of course. We did Olympic champion, which went for a lot of money a while back.
0: What was the Americans' response to like when you brought in like changes such as the hair and the gripping hands? Did they play it down a little bit? Say, oh, we might give it a try.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they were having trouble with G.I. Joe, weren't they? Because of Vietnam. Yeah, so their sales were starting to plummet. I mean, the first thing they did before that, they brought out the talking action man, pulled the string and it goes, Bla, blah, 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 blah. terrible record. It wasn't a record. It was a loop of tape, the first one, but they improved it and made it into a record. Well, they didn't, but it was Ozen Company in Japan. So that sort of boosted action man. But then uh, Bill Pugh, my boss, he was watching Tomorrow's World. You probably remember that.
0: No, I do. I'm older than you think.
1: <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> He was watching Tomorrow's World and he saw this new process called flocking. The real name was molytexing. It's putting fibres onto things. Electrostatic process where you paint something with with a glue and you put it in a box with a lot of these nylon fibres and you have to have one negative and one positive or something. So all the fibres will go to the positive. So with Action Man head, he thought, oh, Action Man could have hair.
0: Well, so Action Man had to go through that, a similar kind of process.
1: Well, yeah, that's how they did it. He called the company in. And the company was only about three quarters of an hour away from Palitoy. It was down in uh, Lutterworth somewhere. This chap came in and I was with Bill waiting for this bloke to come. And he arrived in a car which just flopped all over in different coloured blue. A fairy car. Yeah, furry car And then he came into the office And he took out a tea set You know, with cups and saucers All covered in flock And then Bill picked up an action man head said, can you put hair on him? He says, yeah, of course we can So he sent him away And he came back with the process for doing it Which is, he just he stuck the head onto a positive electrode He painted the head with a resin And stuck it in this box full of this fibre And all the fibre would go to the head, you know Did they have a machine to do that Once it became the norm? It basically was just a box full of little bits of fibre Because the probe that went inside the head was a positive probe or whatever it's electrical i don't know exactly way i did it but you just stuck it in and it attracted the fibers incredible so in the factory there'd be fibers all over the flipping place you know Bill Pugh phoned up Don Levine, his equivalent over at Hasbro, and said, we got this new idea. They sort of explained it, and two of their guys flew over to have a look at the process, and they took it over there and copied it. But they made a mistake. They didn't use the right sort of resin. Okay. The resin they painted on the head was a rigid resin. So when the kids got the head, if they squeezed it, the resin cracked up and the hair would fall off. The resin had to be like a flexible resin.
0: Do you know how many units they shipped with it being wrong?
1: I don't know. (laughs) But Nick Farmer, who was in charge of marketing at the time, he was a bit worried that we got it wrong. So he didn't have a company car then. He had a little mini. He took the knob off his gear stick and he stuck an Action Man head on with the hair. He said he did about 50,000 miles with this Action Man head and the hair didn't come off.
0: Wow. That's proper quality control, that is.
1: Quality control, yeah. That was the first thing we did to change the look of him. Of course, all these different little bits you put on the Action Man, it was great for marketing because you could change the packaging and put on the packaging now with realistic hair. Because, as you know, products take off when they're good, but then they level off and then they start to drop off, don't they?
0: Just need that little boost every now and again.
1: Little boost every three years, you know, and then you can keep the product going in the upward direction. So that's what happened with the um, gripping hand then, you see. Was that your idea, the gripping hand? No, no, it's Bill's. Brian Turner, who display manager, used to get all the designers to go down and help him put up displays at the toy fair in Brighton, because we were sort of creative so we could, you know, make it look good. And Bill used to come down and he used to like, get in with the lads, you know, and Ron up his sleeves and joining in and he couldn't get action man to hold a rifle i think it must be brian who said oh i just put a bit of evo stick or glue or something stick it on and it'll stay there And he says, no, it needs a gripping hand. So when we came back to Colville, I sculpted the gripping hand.
0: Wow. So you like came up with to make it work and stuff. Yeah. It
1: was his idea, but you know, I did the sculpting. And from that sculpting, they made the injection molding tool to make the hands. The hand I sculpted was actually four times Action Man size. No way. (laughs) Yeah. I've got the original model upstairs in the loft, four times Action Man scale. Like about two-thirds the size of a human hand, you know?
0: Oh, superb.
1: That's what they used to pantograph, to cut the steel. It was actually the left hand, because I'm right-handed, so I sculpted my left hand, looking at my left hand, and then when the toolmaker got it, You'd use a pantograph to cut the steel for the left hand, but then to do the right hand, you'd just do a reverse thing on the pantograph. So it reverses it, makes it into a right hand.
0: Henri, I loved hearing how it all comes together. Do you have any particular favourites in the Action Man line which you were involved in?
1: I enjoyed doing the Explorer stuff. Designed a little go-kart, you know, with an outfit for the Action Man. That was good. I still got the prototype of that. That's made of brass. And I did enjoy doing the... um, what they call the ceremonials. Oh, right, yeah. The Blues and Royals and the lifeguards. Did you have to get those approved? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one we did was the um, Grenadier Guard. I didn't have a lot to do with that one, actually, because we had a dress design department and they did all the work on that. But when it comes to some of the others, there's more intricate bits to do. The next one was the and Sutherland Highlander in the kilt. Bill Pugh, he went off a long weekend in Scotland because his wife was from Scotland. And when he came back in the office the next Monday, he walked into the office dressed up as a, an Argyle and Southern Highlander. He's like, we need this for Action Man. This is the next one. <laughs> Brian Turner said, I'm glad he didn't come in with playing the bagpipes. I had to sort all that one out, you know, design that and get the girls to design the kills. And then Bill and myself went down to Household Cavalry down in Whitehall in London. And we were entertained by the commanding officer there in the mess. And he took us all around the barracks where the horses were, you know. And we came back with everything, full set of both, you know, the lifeguard and the blues and rolls, and the saddle for the horse and the helmets and all that. So I had to reduce that down to action man scale and make sure it worked and so forth. And the, oh, and the next one was the Lancer, you know, the one with the big spear thing. Their regimental museum is in Beaver Castle in Leicestershire. They got a regimental museum there, so we went over there. And that castle is is owned by the Duke of Rutland, and it, he entertained us, gave us a meal and everything, treated like royalty. Yeah, we were took us all around the museum and said to take what you want, you know. And we couldn't get the lance in Bill's car. Oh no, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Long so we had to send over Brian in the van to get the lance. And of course, that design, that so it broke down in two to get it in the pack. So, yeah, I enjoyed doing those because that was such interesting work. You know, when we finished and got the final designs from Hong Kong, we'd always make one up in a Perspex display cabinet thing. Small one, put a figure in, all dressed up and give it to the regiment.
0: Oh, brilliant. Do you know if any of those survive? There must be somewhere. I don't
1: know. I went in the museum when I was in London a couple of years ago at Whitehall and went in the museum and looked around and I was looking, you know, studying everything. Couldn't see it.
0: Oh, dang. Someone swiped that, took it I
1: bet that guy who looked after us, that commanding officer, it's probably sitting in his house. When
0: did you first learn of this new film called Star Wars and there might be some involvement from Palatow?
1: Ah well we learned about that quite early on didn't we? Um, All the news was coming out from America wasn't it about this film?
0: Yeah this is back in the day when there wasn't the releases at the same time in America and the UK.
1: That's right yeah nowadays the toys and the books and the comics and everything else is all tied in isn't it?
0: And they're probably coming out before the films to get an early cash in.
1: But they got the comics out in this country before the film was released didn't they? Right. Because it was released. Just after Christmas
0: Obviously in May 77 In America but Yeah Did
1: it come out in London Just before
0: New Year I think
1: 27th of December Something like that Yeah All the kids were spending Their Christmas money To go and see Star Wars Weren't they But before that Jeff Mazie was in charge Of Star Wars And he came up to me He said Bob here's a couple of tickets To go and see Star Wars Down at Tottenham Court Road Big cinema there. Go see it because we're getting this. Was you a science fiction fan at all? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big science fiction fan. You won't remember Journey into Space, will you? I
0: don't think so, no.
1: That was on the radio. Do you remember the Eagle magazine?
0: I remember the second wave of the Eagle magazine, which came out in like the early 80s.
1: 80s, yeah. It came out about 50s, didn't it? 52 or something. Yeah, the Mekon and Dandare and all that. Awesome stuff. So did you get like the Flash Gordon
0: references of Star Wars?
1: Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. The spaceships and and the writing. Flash Gordon, you had that writing that sort of went off into the distance. And I got down there early. I wanted to get a seat right in the middle, about two thirds back. Because I knew that's the place to sit. When it started with that writing coming up, you know, I thought, living out what's going on here. <laughs> Brilliant. And there were some people coming in that, you know, celebrities I recognised that were coming in with the kids, you know. I can't remember who they were, but I, I remember that there were some sort of people that I recognised as being celebrities coming in with loads of kids.
0: How soon after the launch of the toys in America did Palatoy begin producing them?
1: Well, soon after, uh, Kenner did. Kenna did a board game, didn't they, for Christmas 77? It was all printed cards, so they could get that out by Christmas. They couldn't get the figures out because they had to design them, tool them up and so forth. Well, they sold that early bird thing, didn't they?
0: That's right, yeah. It's basically selling a piece of card or packaging as an IOU.
1: That's right. So I think the figures started coming out in the spring, didn't they? Then the vehicles followed on.
0: Would the UK have had a similar time frame then, I guess, in a way?
1: Very similar, yeah. I mean, obviously they wanted the stuff first, so we were sort of second in the queue, but yeah.
0: Did you think a much smaller toy line compared to that of Action Man would be such a success, such a scaled-down version?
1: Didn't really think it like that, but we did realise that Action Man was in trouble. <laughs> There's seven parts in a Star Wars figure. There were 21 parts in an Action Man figure. There's one operation in a Star Wars figure. All you have to do is put legs and the arms into the body, put the other part on top with the sonic welder come down and go zoom. And that's your figure With Action Man You know There's loads of operations
0: Especially now you guys Created the freaking hair <laughs> Yeah
1: Yeah <laughs> Yeah So uh, we knew we were in trouble Not only were we in trouble Because of the scale And the cost And so forth Kids at that time Wanted everything space So what we do with Action Man? We sent him into space Space Rangers And Captain Zargon
0: He said that was my era of Action Man That was My uncle frowns at all that <laughs> Did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. Did you
1: like Captain Sargon? Yeah, I had one. <laughs> That was all designed by Greg Hughes, who came to us about that period, you know. And he was brilliant, brilliant designer, he was. He designed all the Space Ranger stuff and Captain Zargon. Yeah, I loved
0: all the accessory packs you could get with, like, the laser gun which put the battery in and all that
1: kind of stuff. He designed all the special team as well, which is like soldiers about 30 years in the future. We had to do that with Action Man, try and keep, you know, the interest going. But eventually, of course, he lost out. The Americans said, right, no more Action Man
0: because we mentioned it earlier with Action Man but how much creative input did you have with the initial Star Wars line as you would certainly develop things such as the cardboard Death Star which was a massive improvement on the US version in my opinion
1: when i saw that US version i said flip it out That doesn't look like a Death Star. It's sort of like a segment of an orange cut in half and stood on the flat bit, you know. I mean, it had features in it, but didn't sort of excite you as being part of the Death Star. What happened on that is uh, there was an agency in London that we had to go through to get approval for Star Wars stuff. They were like 20th Century Fox's agents over here, you know, to make sure anything that was sold with the Star Wars name on had to be approved. There must have been a young guy in there and thought, oh, Death Star. And he mackled up this card, Death Star, and sent it to uh, our marketing people. And they gave it to us and said, oh, we must do this. We had to design it then because he had just sort of mackled it up in card, you know, so it had to be makeable, as it were. So we had to design it. So we changed it a bit and, you know, that sort of corridor thing. You couldn't make it the way they'd done it, so we had to make it so it was easy for the kid to fold up and then just slot in, you know. And then Brian Turner, display manager I mentioned earlier on, He came on to design because he wanted to get off the road because he was traveling a lot and he wanted to get into design and toys. He took control of the uh, redesign with me working with him. And he put the central sort of column in, you know, with the, the mirror at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. So when you look down, it looks like it's going on forever. You know, like in the Death Star. Genius. And then we put in the uh, trash compactor because we thought that's one of the best bits in the Death Star is the trash compactor scene, you know. We also added on the artwork stormtroopers dotted around in places. So if the kid didn't have many stormtroopers, you know, at least there were some that they could, you know, fight with. That's the sweetest marketing
0: thing ever. <laughs> thinking of the poor kid who hasn't been able to find a stormtrooper
1: he hasn't got enough stormtroopers or he hasn't got any at all so stick a few stormtroopers in so they were sort of put on the artwork and then we put a gun on the top and pinched the guns off of the x-wing fighter wasn't it is that
0: what it was wow
1: i think they were the cannons off the x-wing fighter because the tooling was there you see So we just send a few of those for the Death Star. Things like that, so a kid could put it together. I mean, the cardboard they did, it was all glued up as one piece, really. But it had to be designed so a child could put it together.
0: Did you ever trial it with kids, like anybody's kids? Like, oh, bring them in, let's see what they think of it.
1: I think we did, yeah. I think we did. I remember we started off with a white version, just to get the construction right. And then we decorated it, and then it had to go back for approval again. I think this company did the artwork for it, the final artwork. So we got trannies with our artwork and we got a guy in Leicester called Dave Barnacle who used to do all our packaging artwork and stuff. And then we got him to copy the artwork and built up loads of these Death Stars in white cardboard and then stuck the artwork on, you know, so we can make samples for the toy fairs and the trades people. I think we must have done it that time, got some kids to sort of play with it, you know. If you had enough money to buy two, you could stick two together and you've got a Death Star, haven't
0: you? There's got to be some photos of someone doing that somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Once things blew up and it became
0: such a success, was it overwhelming for the factory at times?
1: Yeah, it was. First of all, the figures were coming in, they were coming in bulk in cartons. So you'd have a carton of Darth Vader, say. And they had to buy some machines in the factory, illegal machines, that did the blistering. So that's how it started off. But then they decided towards the end. This is when Palitoy was becoming more controlled by America. There was a group called the General Mills Toy Group based in New York, basically. Star Wars was the first sort of global branded toy. They realised that this toy group, so that's when they started to think global branding. So products needed to be sold all over the world and that to look the same. The economy of scale, as it were. You know, the more you make, the cheaper they are. They all look the same. So in Europe, Star Wars was it started off this sort of global branding sort of idea where all the product in Europe would be the same. It'd have three languages on. Oh right, that's where that came from then, right? Yeah. So you've got English, German, French, say. Mm-hmm. So if they're not selling enough of Luke Skywalker in Germany, you can send them over to England.
0: Right, gotcha. I always hated that packaging. But
1: that's what was happening with global branding. Makes total sense. It wasn't just toys, it's lots of other things. You see it now, you open a packet and there's an instruction leaflet and it's got all sorts of languages on, is not it? Exactly. Star Wars sort of set that in motion, really. So stuff was being shipped in, finished then, you know, blistered in Hong Kong or China. Right. It was coming over to Europe and it was going to different markets in Europe, you know? That was why Action went because it wasn't a global brand it was just for the UK and one or two other markets they decided to get rid of it didn't fit their sort of strategy of this global branding in In
0: 1982 Palatoy introduced Action Force I believe based on the popularity of Star Wars
1: not just the popularity of Star Wars but also the fact that Action Man was having a rough time
0: right so it became like a scaled down version of Action Man well
1: the first year it was it was the 12 best Action Man outfits
0: but this was also around the same time as I think as when G.I. Joe did a similar thing in America. So was there ever any talk of like a distribution or license thing just to bring G.I. Joe over?
1: We had no idea they were doing that and they didn't know what we were doing. Oh right, so that's just a coincidence. It was a coincidence, yeah. But they started it earlier than us. They probably started thinking it soon after Star Wars came out because they spent quite a long time developing it. It was kept under wraps. And they could have bought it out a year earlier than they did. What was the reason? Was it because the the second film came out. When did The Empire Strikes Back come out? Uh
0: 1980, I think.
1: Yeah, and they brought out G.I. Joe's 82. I think that was probably the reason.
0: I guess Star Wars just on a continual. Yeah,
1: so, I mean, the second film was even better, wasn't it? And it created a lot more interest, and it was, as you say, on the rise. And so they probably delayed the G.I. Joe launch because of that. We didn't know they were doing that because we lost contact with them because G.I. Joe had finished in 78, 9, was it? 78. We had contact with the hair and the gripping hands because they took that as well. But then we lost contact with them and they keep things under wraps.
0: They'll take all your ideas, but keep all their ideas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But they don't want to get out in the marketplace that they're doing this, do they? Because somebody else might take it up. So we didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what we were doing. We brought ours out in 82 at the end of January at the Toy Fair. They brought theirs out at the end of February at the New York Toy Fair. So we both brought them out in the same year, but we got Action Force out like a month earlier. But what happened then, Bob Simpson, who was managing director of Parry Toy, he decided to up and go. He didn't like this global branding idea, you know. He had built up Paletoy by doing deals with people like um, Tomy and Migo. They were competitors of the American toy companies. So when it this global branding thing was coming along and Americans wanted to have more control, he didn't like that. So Ip and went, took people with him. So we were developing Action Force in 81, and he was still there, but then he left that year. When it came out into the marketplace in 82, we had a brand new managing director and a brand new set of marketing people. They could see that the fantasy Star Wars thing was the big thing. So they said to us, we want to change Action Force from being mini-action then to some sort of fantasy thing. So we have to put our thinking caps on then and come up with ideas.
0: That's for me, is when it kind of exploded, just that second wave where you had all the storylines and the different forces and the barren iron blood and the red shadows. Did you enjoy that creative element?
1: Oh, brilliant, yeah, because, well, that's my thing, fantasy science fiction, you know. The trouble is they didn't give us any money to make any new tooling, so we couldn't come up with new figures or new vehicles. We had to use the tooling we had. So that's why you got a German stormtrooper with with a mascot painted red. We had to mix and match arms and legs and make figures, you know. And
0: there's one that which looked like a bit like a deep sea diver.
1: Oh, the Muton.
0: The Muton, that's it, yeah.
1: That was one of my creations, yeah. I thought, if we're stuck for tooling, I said, this guy, it looks like he can be made into a robot. So he's got these sort of holes at the side. They gave us a little bit of money, so designed some little things to sort of plug in. <laughs> what can we call him? Oh, Muton. So good.
0: But you also brought in one of my favourites, the Kraken, which I guess was a throwback to your love of fantasy and science fiction what was the team's response to that because that is like a totally out there we're bringing like this lizard man yeah,
1: well kraken wakes you know the book
0: i don't know the book I, I know the kraken from clash of the titans
1: no no that's not on the kraken wakes by john Wyndham. it's a science fiction book I read it when I was at school. It's got an old one but the story is that uh, aliens have come to Earth but they're living under the sea and every so often they come out and I read that book oh years ago when I was in my early teens I think and I thought Kraken, that's a great name. That conjures up a great figure for Baron Ironblood. He could have Develop this creature in his laboratories, you know, this, that, and the other. So I've got this chap to sculpt it up did some drawings, you know, and say, can you sculpt this figure for me? And I presented it to marketing and they said, oh, great, that looks good.
0: Was that one of the original Mail Away ones?
1: No, no, it's a figure, I think. It was a skeleton, which was the uh, mail away. Now the skeleton in the third year or second year of Baron, when I designed the Robo skull,
0: yeah, ship got real then.
1: <laughs> it did get real then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was on then, <laughs> but uh, I sculpted the uh, the skull thing, you know, and then got plastic and built wings for it and sprayed it up. And I said, needs a pilot now, and I thought, well, a skeleton figure would be great as a pilot. So, I got a guy to sculpt up this skeleton thing from drawings I gave him. And then I presented that to marketing and new products meeting. And I said, This is Skull Fighter or something. And I said, This guy is the pilot. He's Robo Skull. And they looked at it and they said, No, 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 no. He's not Robo Skull. That's Robo Skull.
0: The actual vehicle's <laughs> Robo Skull.
1: The vehicle's Robo Skull. He's somebody else. We'll have to come up with another name for him. He said, We'll keep him, but he's not the pilot for that vehicle. We want a different pilot. So I had to go and Ray and sculpt a different pilot, which was Red Wolf. And that Skeletron, they did him as a mail away.
0: Right, okay, that's the one I'm thinking of then. When was the point that Action Force began to adopt the US line of toys, we like the more articulation and the whole Cobra element? Was you involved in that at
1: all? Well, only in the sense that, um, well, it happened because when we found out that they were doing G.I. Joe, they found out we were doing Action Force in 82, there was a deal sorted out between two marketing departments of, you know, the companies that we could take some of their products So in the first year of Baron Ironblood, we chose some of their products that could fit in.
0: Right, okay. So it was all working around the storyline.
1: Yeah, it was still the same Baron Ironblood storyline, but we took their products. Like we took the, um, oh, what's that vehicle... God, I what it's called now,
0: there was like the was it like the hyena? Hyena,
1: that's the one, and we turned it into something else. Theirs was black, yeah, as was red, yeah. So it became a vehicle for Baron Ironblood and the Red Shadows.
0: Baron Ironblood cared zero about camouflage, did he? It was like, Yeah, you're gonna see <laughs> me coming, you
1: gotta see me coming, <laughs> yeah. So all it meant was borrowing their tooling, so they'd send the tooling over, and we'd mould it off in red, and put stickers on, you know, and what, there was one or two other things. I mean, that uh, big armour thing.
0: Yes, like the suit of armour.
1: Yeah, so we took that, you know, that was quite a neat thing, you know. and uh, Turn it red. <laughs> turn it red. We took their tank, didn't they? motorised tank, that went in the Z-Force, so we are quite good at doing things like that, but in the second year of Baron, obviously they gave us more money, because it was doing well, and that's why we were able to design things like the Kraken and the Skeletron, and because. They gave us money for tooling and vehicles, of course. Robo Skull, the Triad, the uh, sea line submarine thing.
0: Did you ever see any of your products in like, did you ever go into Woolworths and see the stuff on the toy shelves? Did you ever get a kick out of that?
1: You'd have to go in there, wouldn't you, and have a look on the shelves.
0: Was it Palto's parent company, CPG, which is part of General Mills? It closed the design department in '84, which led to a bunch of redundancies including yourself and then yeah. was it the following year manufacturing moved overseas what actually brought that about was there a slump in toy sales such as action man or was star wars slowing down or was it just that global branding thing
1: global branding that saw a lot of stuff i mean tiny tears went which was a fantastic doll Pippo dolls you know all these sort of things that we'd built up over the 70s Tony, things like pocketeers and various toys that went into a range called Discovery Time for preschool kiddies. Mego, you know, the Star Trek figures and Planet of the Apes and all that sort of stuff. You know, all that went because they wanted to concentrate on this global branding and develop everything in the States and just use Palitoy and the other European companies as distributors. Yeah, just a
0: hub to send it out and distribute yeah,
1: it. Yeah, so that's why design went and manufacturing had been going gradually over the years out to the Far East. The only thing that was left when Hasbro owned the sites in Colville and they were still making it was Play-Doh.
0: To the love of parents everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Because Hasbro took over the Palitoy site in Colville.
0: You've continued to work in the toy industry, including, I think you went on to work with MB Toys and the robotics line.
1: Yeah, I did a bit on the road to robotics, yeah.
0: You've been an amazing spokesperson in keeping the history of Palitoy alive. What's the current situation with the site itself now? Because they've had like museum things going off there.
1: It's virtually exactly the same as when I left. There's a few little changes, but only cosmetic really. Do you know the Action Man uh, collectors? Alan Dawson? Well, Alan Dawson, he has one of these Action Man conventions. And things. And he said to me, Bob, he said, it's going to be 50 years for Action Man. He said, we ought to have it in Colville. He says, can you find somewhere in Colville? So I looked around and looked around and I found one or two places, didn't look very suitable, but I thought I'll go back to the factory. And I went back to the factory and I found this company called Hartwood Conferencing. They'd taken over the whole of one of the office blocks and one of the rooms is a big conference room. I thought that's just about right. So his name's Dave. is the bloke who runs it. It's a big business centre is owned by a company in Leicester, but he sublets this bit. You know, I said we want to put an Action Man show on here, bring it back to its um its roots, as it were. Oh, so, uh, that's a good idea because he was he was a big Action Man fan. So got um Alan to come down and sort it out, and we had the fiftieth anniversary of Action Man in there, and then then do you know Rob Wisdom, unofficial Action Man HQ. He had a similar idea for 50th anniversary, was to send Action Man into space, right? So you, you take the uh, the Action Man space capsule, hook it up to uh, one of these high-altitude weather balloons. Oh, right. So we're talking literal stuff here. Yes. <laughs> yes. Designed special outfit for him, a special space suit. He redesigned the uh, capsule. So it's all black and all logos on it and everything, you know, like the modern version, as it were. So Action Man went in there and next to the old Palitoy factory, there's a football ground. So we launched it from there. It goes up about 11, 12 miles.
0: With a little GoPro camera on it and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: and the balloon gets bigger and bigger and bigger because, you know, pressure of the air is less and less. And when it gets to certain balloon bursts, Anyway, if you go on YouTube, and see this. I've got to check that out. You can see it. Just put on Action Man. What can you put?
0: Just put Action Man in Space 50th anniversary or something like that. You'll
1: find it. You'll find it. Anyway, the camera's on it, filming it, going up. You get nice shots of the factory as it goes up and all that business. You can see me launching it. Oh, amazing. The balloon burst. Now, it's about minus 50 degrees up there, so the plastic got really brittle. And when the balloon burst, it, it shattered the capsule. You can see Action Man fall out and disappear. We've never found him since. They were lucky enough that a farmer was doing his field and he found the camera, and that's why you can see it on YouTube. Oh, i got to check that out. i got to check that out. It's a good film.
0: Your creativity and, I'm going to say, legacies is as prominent today, what with the launch of RoboSkull Mark Two. Oh, the Kickstarter campaign What's it raised? It's over $600,000? Heading for a million, isn't it? Was that a surprise to you To see all the love and support that received? Because that was based in America Where I don't think it was until recently That vehicle from the 80s Appeared in the G.I. Joe comic But I guess it must have built some cult following
1: I was very pleased when I saw Larry Hammer Put it in the comic And now the Americans want it now The first I heard of that was um, Chris McLeod He does podcasts and things, you know He's a British guy, Chris McLeod He's moved over to America He married an American girl. He rang me up. He said, some guy wants to do a version of your RoboSkull. So that's how I got into contact with Ben. He's kept me in the loop, as it were. He's kept me as part of the team. I've contributed a few ideas, you know, and uh, it was my idea to call it RoboSkull Mark II. I've enjoyed the ride, you know, seeing it develop. It's fantastic. I went to roll out Roll Call, which involves um, Star Wars and Action Force and those sort of figures, somewhere in the New Forest. I went down last year to this, this show. And I had to give a little talk, like, you know what are doing? And at the end of the talk, Dave called me up onto the stage and he had something covered over this big black sheet. He said, Bob, I want to show you this. And he pulled the sheet off and it was the prototype of the RoboSkull Mark II. Wow. Ben has sent it over to the show so I could see it, you know.
0: When are you expecting your delivery of the RoboSkull Mark II?
1: Oh, about this time next year, I should think, isn't it?
0: Because you're finally getting your own action figure, though, right, as one of the pilots. Have you heard that? I've heard that, yeah.
1: Have <laughs> you? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen any mock-ups of that yet? I think one's coming soon. They're going to get a shock when they pull it off a CMR fluid mug underneath.
0: Would you say that RoboSkull has been one of your favourite creative achievements or does anything else stand out? I
1: think that's my favourite. Fits in with my mentality, you know. Action Man was great to work with, but it was based on historical and sort of contemporary uniforms until we did Space Rangers.
0: You had boundaries.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wanted when I first joined Panitoy, I wanted to change Action Man into Space Man. And I had these ideas, but my boss didn't go along with it. I mean, you sold a million in a year. You don't want to change in no. a year. That's why I enjoyed doing the Explorers and that, because it, it was different, you know? Of course, I was not long out of college, and I was a bit idealistic, you know, about military and war and stuff like that. So I did work on Action Man, but when it got to uh, Baron Ironblood, I was really in, me, like, in my element. Of course, Robo skull was the pinnacle, as it were. Even me as a kid seeing it, I was like, wow, what is this?
0: <laughs> Was it scary? I think it was a little bit. Yeah. It's not a friendly looking skull on that. No. <laughs> If anyone's listening who's not seen School, the Action Force vehicle, they need to type that into Google and check it out.
1: I was surprised they took it, actually. I'm I surprised marketing went for it. But, you know, if they hadn't gone for it, we wouldn't have had a RoboSkull, would we? It had been in a cupboard somewhere gathering dust. Bob, thank you ever so much for
0: chatting with me. I've loved hearing the stories and I'm excited for people who perhaps aren't familiar with the whole Palatoy journey and for them to hear about it as well. So thank you ever so much for sharing those with us. Have you got any talks or anything coming up at any
1: point? Well, the local school round They want want people to go in and talk about their jobs. So I'm going in to tell them what a toy designer does. (laughs) Little kids, about six or seven, you know.
0: (laughs) Were you taking any kind of show and tell stuff?
1: Take some stuff in, yeah, some action then, and some Star Wars and
0: blow the minds.
1: Should be fun. (laughs)
0: well hopefully uh, we'll cross paths at some point at a Palatoy event thank you ever so much chatting Bob and hopefully speak to you soon okay
1: cheers gentlemen the world is in terrible peril from this man Baron Ironblood an evil genius who is determined to rule the world these are the creatures he has created to help him. Now you must create your own action force dedicated to the Baron's downfall. Captain Campbell, you will take command of Z-Force, land-based attack troops. Captain Buckingham, the SAS, Crack Commando Squad. Captain McLaren, Q-Force, subaquatics, And Captain Connors, Space Force. Expect the unexpected. Where will the Baron strike next? Action Force Toys, the battle has just begun.
0: I want to thank Bob Bereke not only for joining me on this episode of the Straight to Video podcast, but also thank you on behalf of any Action Man, Star Wars or Action Force fan who grew up in the 70s and 80s for everything that he contributed to our childhoods and making it that extra bit special. Absolute legend and lovely bloke. Be sure to keep an eye on all the great Action Man and Action Force pages on social media, as I'm sure there'll be some events coming up where Bob will be making an appearance. So if you can, please go along and say hello. That is all for today's show. This one was a real treat and I hope you enjoyed it too. Be sure to check out all previous episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or find them all at stvpod.com. And if you get a chance, please spare a second to see what is happening on our Patreon page. I promise, some really cool surprises over there soon. So drop onto patreon.com forward slash stvpod to find out everything that's happening. I hope you're all doing amazing and I look forward to chatting with you again very, very soon.